future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Carolina Perk. Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modeler platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Karina Pelt. I'm a host for iGaming Next and also founder of a, a Beyond Play, small startup in a gaming space. Um, I'm back this year with the very first episode of uh, the podcast. And today I've got Dermot Smurfett as my guest, CEO of GUN. Uh, welcome. Thanks for the making the time. Thank you. Delighted to be here, Carolina. Appreciate the opportunity. No, absolutely. Um, we had a little chat before, so I'm very excited to follow up uh, sort of on air um, and introduce this whole um, history to, to our listeners. Uh, obviously, GAN has uh, been a lot in the news uh, very recently towards the end of the year, but also throughout the year with various acquisition launches of new product verticals, a lot of exciting stuff happening, uh, which I want to cover. But where I really found um, a sort of uh, a super interesting bit is is the history of of yourself and Gan and how you got into the industry because you know I'm a big um, believer in in skill based gaming and obviously in a multiplayer gaming so having seen someone do this so early um, uh, uh, such a bold move uh, many many years ago I wanted to know sort of you know how it came about why did you guys decided to enter the industry with that product and how it went. Wow. Well, that's that's basically tell me the history of everything over the last 20 years. I mean, this is the 20th year of GAN, formerly Game Account Network, and before that, GameAccount.com. So I'm I'm going to have to invoke the way back in time machine, take us all the way back to, gosh, the 11th of December 2002, when GameAccount.com was launched as a website. You could sign up, create an account, create a game account, uh, very much intended, as I recall, for online games as opposed to anything to do with online gambling. So the, the original business model 1.0 was to, to put money into an online account, let people transact against that account. Uh, and the first game was a golf game. And then uh, in the preceding years, we added many, many different categories of skill-based games. Some of them, most of them were uh, single player because they're technically much, uh, much more straightforward than doing asynchronous multiplayer gaming uh, in the web frameworks that are available to you, like Shockwave. Anybody remember Shockwave? Hopefully some of your audience are old enough to remember Shockwave. But Shockwave was one of those terrible downloaded installs into your browser, uh, obviously superseded by various different versions of the Flash, and then itself superseded by HTML5. But um, yeah, I remember very, very well. The first uh, golf game was a four-player game, and lots of people wanted to sign up and play it. And it was 
all very exciting, but unfortunately it took uh, some time for us to realize that the, the economics of very slow turn-based uh, multiplayer skill-based games just didn't really stack up. And uh, you know, we tried pretty much every, every type of, of classical uh, skill-based game. We, we tried 8-Ball Pool, which is fantastic. We came up with a, a brilliant game. Shout out to Sam Lawrence and Nick Clark, the developers, for doing that uh, incredible game. And that, uh, that kind of won the hand in marriage of Paddy Power back in the day, which is just an, an emerging online sports gambling giant. And some of the Paddy Power employees had, uh, had come onto our site and really enjoyed playing that game. And, and they said, hey, any chance we could somehow figure out how to integrate your system with ours and, uh, and get that game launched for Paddy Power users on paddypower.com. So very much on brand for them. So that, that kind of started the journey into the world of B2B. And uh, so as we progressed through 2003, 2004, uh, we moved progressively from direct-to-consumer B2C uh, into B2B supply of multiplayer skill-based gaming content to various different UK-oriented sports betting companies like UK Betting PLC, if anybody remembers that, uh, the Sporting Bet European business, the, uh, of course, Petty Power, and then ultimately William Hill, I think, in 2006. And I'll call 2006 as kind of the high watermark of skill-based gaming at a time where you had... Uh, uh, a lot of excitement going on in the London Stock Exchange and equity capital market. You remember that you know, 88 holdings came, came public at the time. Party poker was a big noise. And then, of course, it all kind of came crashing down in October of 2006 as the UEGA piece of legislation was uh, tacked onto the Port Security Bill. And then, lo and behold, overnight, about, as I recall, about 5 or $6 billion worth of shareholder value was just wiped out literally overnight. And the U.S. shut down and it all got very, very scary in the U.S. And thankfully, we'd never... We'd never done anything in the U.S., and um, we knew that uh, having kept our nose clean and not launched online casino or been in the U.S. or done sports gambling in the U.S., that you know, in the future, we would have a clean bill of health in order to enter that market. Because, of course, America is going to regulate one day, and it's just around the corner and has been for years and years and years. But uh, eventually, it did start to happen in 2013. So I wanted to say, was the U.S. always the, the dream, the plan? It was, it was always the obviously the largest market from our, it was actually from our sports gambling clients and the executive sports gambling clients, many of whom did in fact have US gamblers betting on sports. And they would tell us all these apocryphal stories of you guys, you just don't get it. Americans just bet more. They have more money. They bet more money. Uh, and uh, they're, they're just the best category of customer to have in the whole online universe, whether you're, you're looking at fairly murky waters uh, out east in, in Asia or whether you're looking all the way through to the, the North American market. So, yes, we, we, we kind of knew just through industry scuttlebutt and, and being a B2B provider that one day uh, we needed to get to the U.S. Right, but, you know, um, we're talking, you've entered, I think, the casino um, uh, business around 2010, right? Like the online casino. Um, it was 2007, it was April 2007, we launched our first game of roulette and it, it kind of, you know, we've we become so inured to the idea of online games and people playing online games for money that they would generate basically $1 per day, right? So your, your average revenue per daily active user was basically a buck. And that was, that was, you know, sometimes you could change that a little bit. Maybe you could get, get excited about getting 2 or $3 per day out of a player, you know, if you're, you're doing some skill-based version of solitaire, which has just got a faster cycle rate, things like that. Um, so we spent an enormous amount of time and intellectual energy and obviously shareholder capital in order to, to try and really um, extend what was then believed to be pure skill into skill and chance games. So we did backgammon, gin rummy, we did it. We, we pushed the envelope to a degree. Uh, multiplayer blackjack tournaments, which in, in kind of increased the skill level in blackjack. But it was all at the end of the day, nothing really changed because at, at the 
at the most basic fundamental truth that cost us a lot of money to figure out, and I'm happy to, to offer it up for free, multiplayer skill-based games where you have a uh, where there's a, a significant requirement of either mental or physical skill, you've got multiple issues. You've got um, you know cycle rate, the sheer amount of time required for a transaction to take place that you can take a percentage from. You've got the fact that uh, the moment you introduce skill, then you've got a, a very real issue between distribution of money between individual players. So you know your top one percent are always going to be uniquely, bizarrely skillful because they happen to be you know, students with a huge amount of time on their hands to practice this game or whatever the reality is. And the fish moving, and the shark syndrome from poker. It's, it's a, a way more exaggerated version. Texas Hold'em Poker is the perfect game from the standpoint of uh, you can make, I mean, again, anecdotally, you can make $20, $30 per player per day because because the, the money moves from the one the 99% of players to the 1% of players very, very slowly. You know, the money has to move back and forth, back and forth many, many times, creating the rake or, or many, many rake opportunities before the 1% has finally got the 99% money. So the, again, as you say, the fish versus the sharks. So we, uh, in April 2007, we actually launched our first, uh, sorry, 2007, September 2007, with the Gambling Act being implemented in the UK, we launched our first roulette game. And I think I think day one of roulette, you know, day day two, we woke up, checked the numbers, and I think I was on the verge of tears at one point, realizing, oh my gosh, <laughs> all this time and energy on multiplayer games of skill. But uh, the, the truth the truth of the matter is, you know, you know, at least continental Europe is very roulette orientated, and the UK is obviously very blackjack orientated. So we quickly followed up with blackjack. But you mm -hmm. make you know fifty to seventy dollars per day from roulette and blackjack. Versus your one scratching around trying to trying to eke a living from one two three dollars a day. Very different mm -hmm. dynamics. But it's interesting to hear your perspective because very often I hear from people, you know, that the skill games mm -hmm. haven't caught on or the multiplayer games in the past. But mostly it's uh, blamed that the adoption rate and um, you know technology challenges. Whereas you are bringing it down to the pure economics. That is just and not that um, they don't work. It's just it's not worth it versus the real money sort of more classic games, right? If you, if you ever watch those Shark Tank uh, programs or you know any of those yeah. entrepreneurial programs, you know I always distinguish between products and companies. You know that skill-based gaming and a portfolio skill—it's a product. It's not a company because the economics of the product aren't strong enough to support the build-out of a company. But what we did do is we you know we invested our shareholder capital in 2002 to the 2007-8 era in building the technology system. You know the the accounting system, the back office system. So we had a platform as a concept. Uh, and then uh, creating multiplayer gaming frameworks, which were you know, very, very highly valued by B2B sportsbook operators who ultimately wanted, you know, in a Cambrian-esque explosion period of product, they wanted to have all the different products available. They didn't want their gamblers to have a reason to leave them to go somewhere else. So, you know, they started with a sportsbook, added online casino, added poker, added bingo, added skill games. Uh, they, they just wanted to have as many products as possible. They were the supermarkets of one, and we were just one aisle in the supermarket. Um, mm. And you can, you can only really do that. It's very, very hard to to be standalone when the economics is so slight because, of course, you're out there as a B2C operator uh, competing for um, the same online casino demographic, effectively, people who mm. play games online and want to win money. I mean, it's a slightly different demographic on skill-based gaming. It's much more poker-orientated with a significant overlap in the sports betting demographic as well because it's competitions and it's all very masculine and, and uh, lots and lots of fun but very disposable so mm -hmm. skill-based gaming are very dear to my heart i'm a video game geek right inside me is just a video game geek and i think i have five virtual reality headsets 
uh, oh, wow. here, but uh, in, in fact, here you go. here's 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 one of them right now. Well, shall we jump to the metaverse version of the podcast? <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know, interestingly, we started with the pandemic. We've started experimenting with um, VR meetings, and I, I would encourage anybody who hasn't tried Oculus Quest Two specifically. You know, I, I'm not I'm not a lover of Mark Zuckerberg necessarily. He's mm. obviously extremely clever, but he's putting a huge amount of capital behind the practical nuts and bolts engineering implementation of incredible consumer uh, VR. We, we actually came out with a VR application back in, um, I think it was for, it was G2E in October of 2016. We actually developed in Unity and published uh, a VR casino for one of our, our clients here in the US, Empire City Casino. And you could download this gigantic software application onto your PC if you're one of the tiny, tiny number of people who had a VR device yeah. and you, you could wander around in a virtual casino and you could see actual slot machines in VR and then press them and play the games displayed on, on 2D, in 2D versions on the three-dimensional slot machines screens. But, you know, everybody who downloaded it, the, the number one bit of feedback was, can I have a gun and can I rob the casino? So <laughs> eventually we said, okay, it's 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 an interesting audience, super niche, and it's not the right product. You know, actually, it's just a, it's it's going to be a video game construct in my, in my view for many many years to come. I, I think at some point it will return because, as you said, like the the lack of access to the device that you need to fully experience this and the cost of the device, right? Like I have a good friend um, Alexander who also built a VR casino, and it also didn't really fly because just not enough people had the devices. But when you see stuff that NetEnt has been doing a couple of years ago with their Gonzo's Quest sort of VR um, uh, type of game, it, it really did appeal to me. So I think at some point where the adoption is higher, I, I, I think we'll see a return. As you say, uh, the VR calls for sort of, <laughs> you know, being able to, to have a bit of more story and influence on it. But the, the, the too heavy, Carolina, these have to be like chunky sunglasses, right? You know, ladies yeah. with long hair are not going to wear these things. It's just, it's a fact, it's heavy, it runs out. But, you know, this is pretty amazing. This is, you don't have to plug it into anything. It's, it's, it's uh, hands-free. But yes, eventually it will happen. And all the engineering challenges are in flight being solved. So I'm, I'm a big yeah. believer in the future of VR. I'm just not sure necessarily how you address it immediately today. Yeah. But for collaboration, it's very interesting. You should, you should try collaborating with people. And we've got offices now all the way out to Tel Aviv and working backwards in you know, Tel Aviv, Estonia, uh, mm. area, um, UK, you know, East Coast, West Coast, um, America, and, and collaborating in, in VR with a VR whiteboard. Super nerdy, super nerdy, yeah. but great fun and actually does work. So you haven't yeah, tried it. Yeah, we, we try all kinds of things with our team because we're experimenting with different avatar solutions. So we looked at, um, I think there was uh, one a very new sort of metaverse uh, collaboration work uh, space where you log in and uh, um, it's it's uh, from the Alexis O'Hanian 776 fund. They've invested in that. So because I followed them, I immediately checked it out. It was a pretty cool experience, you know, especially when you're a fully remote team and that gives you sort of the perception of getting together to a certain extent. Um yeah, I wanted to PIs because, you know, um, again, social, you said economics uh, lower per player and so on. But what would you say about the retention rates? Uh, uh, is there a case in saying, yeah, OK, the earnings per player per day are lower if you look at it, but the return rates are very different. The loyalty rates is, is a completely different beast when it comes to social gaming. Yeah. And also, if you think about the, the you know, there, there are no real VIPs in school, school based gaming, right? You just the, the average bet was $5 and people would play. And, and it was, you know, the economics were constrained by time, 
So mm -hmm. people only, ultimately only have a certain amount of disposable time. Uh, I'm not sure what you do for two hours every day, but we had some people who would play hours and hours and hours online, usually retired people or college kids. But at the end of the day, that was still measured in single-digit hours every day. So you know, mm -hmm. maximum, you're going to get a yield per player per, per hour of you know, 30, 40 cents, then you have an upper limit, hence that whole one, two, three dollar a day opt-out conundrum. So not you don't really have VIPs, you don't enable VIPs in many, many forms of skill-based gaming. Poker is obviously a different animal, so I'll put that to one side. But in the social casino market, you do have extraordinary VIPs. And for me, social casino, at least, you know, why does social casino work principally in North America and Australia? And the answer is because you've got no-fly zones for real money online casino. Okay, I, you know, the industry kind of knows that. And it's, it's been what I call a proxy demand product, just as Daily Fantasy Sports was a proxy product to serve by proxy the demand for sports gambling in America. You could advertise it in most states nationally. So, so too is social casino gaming. Social casino gaming is um, of appeal to a certain proportion of slot players uh, who are necessarily frustrated by the absence of, of iGaming legislation enacted in their state. We've only got iGaming legislation in six states in the US at the moment. Uh, we're up and running in five of them. Uh, and I think you're going to see quite a, quite a large substitutional effect between social casino gamers and real money iGamers. But, but we also, you know, we're one of the few companies that has social gaming products up and running in a state like New Jersey, as well as real money online casino mm. in, in a very major way in New Jersey. And we can actually see and track people bouncing between the two. So there is a coexistence between the two. And, and if you look at it as a general statement, your social casino gamer, if they monetize in a month, will lose 200 bucks in that month. And, mm -hmm. and when I say lose, I mean spend money on virtual credits and then lose those virtual credits or virtual currency or coins or whatever playing their game. And you're really selling just time on device. But a real money online casino player will play not just two or three times in a year, two or three months in a year. Your online casino player is, is prolific, very prolific. And they're going to lose four or $500 uh, in um, gross gaming revenue in the online casino every month. So it's, it's a very, very interesting, different dynamic. Well, it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, the, the reasons why social casino has grown in popularity so much, because I've read multiple reports in the past that I disagree with, where they said it's a completely different breed of players. The social casino gamers are different gamers than, than no, real money. You're completely right. It's completely... Okay, so let, let's, let's be clear. If you're a social casino executive, you want to be able to say these are not retail casino gamblers, okay? Mm -hmm. That's what you want to say, because you want to, you want to basically say you're, you're in the video game industry. No, we're not, we're not gambling. You fear the threat of regulation. Yeah. You know? and I, I, was, I remember being marched into the offices a few years ago of a big casino operator that owned a social casino, and I was sat down and I was lectured by the general counsel saying, you must stop calling your things simulated gaming. I'm like, what? It's simulated gaming? Of course it is. No, you must stop calling your B2B social casino product because you are associating us with this retail casino industry. I said, guys, you're in the retail casino industry, right? We know the truth and you know the truth. You're just trying to hide the truth from view, which is the vast majority of your revenues comes from a substantial minority of your players, many of whom, if not the substantial majority, are retail slot players of America. And that is just the truth. So to give you a sense of it, you know, 15% of social casino players are people who regularly frequent retail casinos. And it's, it's um, an extension, it's, it's incremental wallet share for them uh, above and beyond whatever they're spending in the retail gaming channel. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of, there's a lot of nonsense in the industry and you know, it's, it's part of every experienced executive's job to try and shine a light on things. And yeah. um, 
social, the emergence of social casino gaming, a four or five billion dollar market a year, dominated by many of the large class uh, class. Uh, three slot machine designer manufacturers, which is a no-brainer because what they're doing is they're serving the demand that exists within their retail casino gaming patrons to play online when they leave the casino and go home or at work or wherever they play. Uh, and, and it was, for me, social casino was always a no-brainer that it will eventually be dominated by the people with the content, you know, the people with the content and the, the slot games that are present on the retail gaming floors. And yeah, I made that prediction several years ago and nobody paid attention, but I think that's exactly what's happened. And, and you can look at Playtika and say, well, how come Playtika is, uh, is so successful? Well, they got to market really early. They defined the market, in my view, yeah. but they had a lot of games that were eerily similar to all the big slot machines in casinos in America. So, so if, you're, if you're one human being who loves to play you know, an aristocrat slot or a scientific game slot or an IGT slot or whatever, in your local casino and you go home, well, suddenly to replicate that experience, you got to download the side games app, the aristocrat app, the, you, you got yeah. to go download a whole bunch of apps onto your phone to get access to the games that you really like and want to play. But, but some social casino app operators for many, many years until I think they were clamped down on, they had near carbon copy facsimiles of, you know, the, you know there's, there's Buffalo or it's called something slightly differently, but it looks purpley. There's a Buffalo horned animal and it's all purple. That looks kind of like Buffalo to me. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that there was a lot of predatory intellectual property infringement that took place um, over a, you know, a very, very extended period of time. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that gets cleared out, you know, Apple and Google are pretty good at responding to legitimate complaints for IP infringement and uh, in clearing has, but they keep on spreading up like, you know, it's like quack-a-mole. But I think there's an interesting um, possibility for sort of as the market opens up to iGaming regulation, um, the real money gaming will slightly cannibalize the social um, casino gaming in those states where it becomes available. At the same time, if the challenge becomes overcome, because from what I understand, the social casinos often are not able to offer the same versions of the actual popular games from online because not many of the slot developers make their games fully native, where they can go into those apps. If that at some point becomes sort of less of a challenge and, and there are fully native versions that can go into a social gaming app, uh, that could make the social casino grow again with the new type of content that is very almost identical to the ones that they see in, in retail and in online. Look, it's entirely possible. I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of innovation in the industry and really, really smart people you know, clacking away at keyboards in all corners of the world, coming up with crazy, brilliant new ideas. Social casinos are, you know, one part video game experiences and two parts, you know, a facsimile, a proxy demand product for retail gaming demand. Uh, but if you look at most social casinos, if you look at the games and game math, you, you know, the game math engine is going to be completely different to a regulated real money casino slot game math engine, right? So, you know, we've all heard the stories and we all know the truth. You know, many, many social casino operators have um, dynamic math models and all kinds of tricks to, to effectively accelerate the consumption of the virtual credits that they're in the business of selling. So sometimes uh, to, to, to get a, a customer online and playing a social casino app, you know, the very first game, the very first experience, you're going to get 150% return to player payout. So the experience seems, oh my God, this is so much better than playing in a casino. Uh, and then over time, the, the return to player, you know, 150% and finally below 100% and starts to chew through the accumulated currencies. You've had, you've had everything from um, RTP wars or, or, or kind of theoretical hold wars between the, the social casinos. You've had 
uh, massive inflation. You know, I remember the first social casinos would offer you $5,000 worth of free fake chips. And now it's 10 million, 15 million, 20 million. You know, where do you stop? It's, it's kind of a bit race to the bottom, if you will. Mm. But um, it's, 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 a, it's a very, very engaging experience. I mean, social casinos are incredible software constructs and brilliant uh, video game mechanics overlaid on top of the core gameplay. Uh, so, so I think there's still a lot of incredible smart innovation in the social mm-hmm. casino market. But it does, it, it does feel like it's not as explosively growth oriented as it was. If you go back to you know really the, the earliest early social casino years of 2009, 2010, 2011, and uh, I remember coming coming across an executive at one of our fabulously indiscreet conferences that happened from time to time in the industry, and, and asking them about his experience. And he was a executive big casino social casino operator. So, yep. We've acquired all the real money monetized players in social casino in America. Our job is just to reacquire them. So it's, it's, there's this constant reality of marketing. You know, when you talk about day one, day, day 28 retention, you know, you're always out there, uh, not just acquiring customers, but reacquiring them on different devices with different social casino apps, maybe, maybe with a different game brand leading to get, mm-hmm. them, to get them back in. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a fascinating industry. It's a four or five billion dollar a year industry in North America alone. And, uh, uh, you know, there's some wildly successful social casinos out there. And, and uh, many of the, the slot machine manufacturers have done an incredibly good job moving into that space and ultimately dominating that space. Mm. Uh, talking about sort of creative people and math, uh, I want to take it to um, your very recent news, Raf uh, and Silverback Gaming. Raf is a good colleague of mine. Uh, he's a math guy, as everybody knows him, you know, uh, previously founder of Cayetano. So not, not many people have know the history of the company. So maybe you could mm, give a couple of uh, words of opinion, sort of why, you know, this acquisition, why, how do you choose the studio and how does it fit into your overall strategy to, to win the US market? Okay, so so best and simplest way to understand GAN, the original US B2B business, uh, which is still at the core of the business today, is that we're the plumbers of the industry, right? We are the, the guys deploying our, our platform, our PAM, uh, our super RGS in all these different states, and, and we are delivering content or operating the technology of a platform for our clients here in the US. And we've got a, um, a platform that's stood up now and operating right now today across nine states, uh, of which five of them are iGaming states, all the all the key iGaming states, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Michigan, Connecticut, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we, we have, you know, the distribution that I think content developers really need and are really struggling with. You know, there's, there's a reality that distribution in America, it's not as simple as set up your servers in Malta, switch them on and plug them into to all the, the B2C operator systems that are out there or work with an aggregator. Um, it is incredibly fiddly and extremely difficult. And I think there's an increasing awareness in European international circles how hard it is, you know, not just the, the standpoint of getting licensed for gaming in these states, which is a terrible experience for anybody who exposes them self-licensing, it's, it's just, it's a, an incredibly invasive process, put it that way. And uh, a lot of international people are not really used to that. I've been licensed for gaming now since 2014, and I've got untold numbers of licenses, and I'm always signing documents and producing bank statements and, 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 and that's just a reality of, of being here in the US. But that's one of the things that we take care of by bringing Silverback into the GAN family. You know, the, the, the licensing requirement disappears uh, we're helping them with the, the certification of the, the products that they're developing and have developed. Um, we get to you know, build their technology into ours, and that gives them 
instant, not quite flip a switch, nothing in the industry is flip a switch, but it gives them access to the distribution network um, that we built up patiently. And I think if, if I look at the, you know, the guts of a billion dollars in GDR that we delivered here in the US to all of our clients, you know, we are one of the largest online casinos in America today, and we will continue to be one of the largest online casinos for many, many years to come. And that's all off the back of working patiently to set up and move from state to state to state with our clients and for our clients um, everywhere from, you know, the, the, the fairly, what, what I describe as the origin story for online gambling in America in New Jersey back in 2013, where we all excitedly switched on our, our systems in November of, of 2013, only to find that payments were broken and geolocation was tricky and all kinds of things didn't really work as well as they did in Europe. And it took a long, a long, long, long haul to try and figure out some of the basic blocking and tackling uh, of, of how to make online gambling work or online casino gaming work uh, in the very first state. And I, I, always, I always tease a lot of people uh, when I come across them and they say, oh, how did that New Jersey thing work out? And I said, well, Ultimately, it worked out brilliantly. You know, you had one one market in 2013 and 2014, but every everybody was disappointed. It was a hundred million dollar GGR market in 2014, and everybody just shrugged and, and moved on with life and said, "Oh well, well that, that didn't work." New Jersey tried everything; they even tried online gaming for for, for crikey's sake. So uh, don't bother with that. It's tiny and it's broken. But the real true value of New Jersey iGaming was unlocked by these patient progressive optimizations to make things work better and reduce the friction associated with creating your online account, getting money in, and then letting people get straight into the game. And it sounds um, ridiculous to anybody who just has European experience where you know, you know setting up a, a Malta website or Isle of Man website, it's, it's kind of shrug factor five. It's not a big deal. The whole platform accounting systems are, are very straightforward. But in the US, it's extremely tricky. And every one of these states has got their own requirements, whether it's you know certain restrictions on self-exclusion or certain regulatory frameworks. So having run the GAN platform from New Jersey, then into Pennsylvania, then into a whole bunch of other states, it kind of increases the scarcity value and the inherent value of the technical asset, which is a proven, scalable, multi-state platform, which, which also offers, and it's, this is unique in the B2B world, at least at the moment, um, one app, one account, one account balance. That's an important distinguishing factor yeah. uh, any product. So, so as, as all these states regulate and switch on, particularly for sports gambling, you're beginning to go from a situation where you had you know, one, one state over here, another state over here, and it was a patchwork quilt, and they were all separated by, an, if you like, a, a, a black ocean of absent regulation. But now you're getting states, very large population centers that, that shift like the sands in a desert from one state to the next to the next. And you need to have that capability to enable your consumer who just wants to download an app onto their phone, and they want that app to work in any state that they're in. If gaming regulation or online sports betting regulation uh, exists. So, so that took us, we premiered that capability in 2019 and we've been optimizing it for the last couple of years, but that's probably one of the things that uh, in, the, in the deep back office of, of GAN, we're most proud of that, you know, one app download, one account, uh, one account balance, any product that's supported by the state capability. It's, it's tricky stuff. Mm -hmm. And tell me now, you know, with your expertise in the U.S. market, where do you believe the differentiation lies for a company like yours when it comes to content? Who, who do you think are the future winners? Is it the big IP owners? Because obviously the, the uh, legacy uh, uh, retail uh, titles that are 
are and still going to be doing very well? Or is it about innovation and educating the market about what's already flying in Europe, the likes of megaways and high volatility and, you know, waiting for the streaming trend to, to really kick off in the US? Where, where do you think the industry is going? Is it going to mirror what happened in Europe just at, at a different pace or is it a different market completely? It's, it, it's a very, very different market. Right. It's, it's just incredibly different. You know, why, you know, look at Novomatic and, and those kind of games that are very insanely successful in Western and Central Europe. You know, th those games reportedly, allegedly, my lawyer would tell me to say that, don't work in the US. Um, they're just different, different games. You know, you're, you're presenting different game types that Americans are not used to. Americans are, are used to the kind of games that are being produced by American and Australian slot machine manufacturers. So you've got the, the core of the truth is that those retail slot machine games um, that, uh, that, that have been available in the retail channel for years and years and years, that's the default template for games, game types, math models uh, that the American consumer wants to play online. So there's kind of yeah. core demand just to play the same game they know from the retail channel in the retail casinos online. So that's, that's kind of at, at the core of the consumer demand. But of course, of course, over time, you will have all the innovations and all the mechanics and all, all the different things that have made games break through and propel companies to great successes. Innovation in maps, innovation in features. Um, I think a lot of them will, will happen here in the US over time. That's one of the key drivers of bringing Raf and Evo and their team at Silverback into the GAN family because they are some of the most experienced, capable game mathematicians and designers that we've yeah. ever come across in 20 years. And we're, we're delighted and privileged to welcome that team to the family and, and make, their, make their aspirations for their own growth uh, happen and give them access to our distribution. So, so it's kind of hands off the steering wheel, let Raf and the team build great games and build great games designed for uh, specifically to bring the the great innovations that you've seen in Europe into the US in a very real way. So I'm, I'm you know I'm already delighted with the quality of the games that are playable on their website and some of the stuff they're coming up with is incredible, very, very high quality and we're really looking forward to getting that portfolio stood up and, and running. But from a um, from a game content distribution standpoint, you know, Raf and Evo are what I call the innovators within GAN, right? The, the thought leaders in GAN, but secondarily, they get to benefit and slipstream on the existing fundamental demand for the Ainsworth slot games that we've taken uh, exclusive control of from a distribution standpoint in the US over the course of the next five years. Ainsworth, great company. I've known the, the, the people there for many, many, many years. Um, Danny Gladstone, Jason Lim, brilliant people, great, great people to work with. And uh, we've got a very, very tight strategic partnership to let them focus on what they're brilliant at, which is designing really good online versions, online specific versions of their fantastic retail slot machines and bringing them live. And, and if you look at the, the, the map, um, really you've got IGT, Psygames, uh, they're there. Every is there. You know the old multimedia games. If, if uh, you ever came across their titles out of their Austin studio, great, great quality. So, so the slot. I think, that, and Konami is there as well. Incredible technologies. So most of the retail slot machine um, manufacturers have dipped their toes in the water. Very few have gone scale. IGT already had scale from the European business. Side games obviously already had scale. But where's Aristocrat? Aristocrat still hasn't launched any game titles recently, as far as I'm aware. And for sure, they're coming. For sure. For sure, they will be building out their online content and, and there will be a, a fabulous portfolio available in due course. But in the meantime, 
um, we are we, we are bringing the Ainsworth slot content online in very real scale. I think they've got just under 100 game titles right now, which is a big portfolio in the US. You know, in the US, a big portfolio is 200, 250 slot titles because the time required to build a portfolio, get it certified, yeah. graded, and distributed is just excruciating. It's excruciating, yeah. Carol. It shouldn't be this hard. Yet it just is. And it is because it's an intrastate market environment. You've got individual fiddly regulators. You've got constraints on certification over GLI. You haven't got, you know, GLI is a much, much bigger presence in the US than it is necessarily in Europe. I think in Europe, you have a lot of choice between who you can use to certify your games. And many of the states also have their own in-house technical testing laboratories, which are a great way to create jobs in the state. And those technical testing laboratories are pretty much bandwidth constrained. I, I don't think any regulator would mind me saying that. If, if they do have a technical testing lab, then generally it's a very slow-moving, stop-start, digestive process to uh, to consume and excrete these these online casino games into the, the live operating markets, which is one of the reasons why you know the, the New Jersey market itself is, what is it, eight years old? Eight, mm. eight, eight years and change? And yet even the most populous online casino that, that we power and deliver to one of our clients has only got 1,400 slots on it. Compare that to the thousands of slots available in the mature, hyper-mature markets of Europe or, or the UK. And you get I know, but I would say that the, the, the hundreds of slots and competing general number of games is old-fashioned. Like, I mean, majority of these games are not um, utilized. So you'll have the 1,400 slots portfolio, and unless there is a VAP playing some old-fashioned, you know, favorite game, probably 300 of them are being played on a monthly basis. So um, I would say that those like the trend is right now like for some games being decommissioned from site because they just uh, there's no space for them any longer and uh, it's uh, it's it's um, just the maintenance of apis and so on it's it's tiring for operators but i wanted to say what i agree with you on the that you've got a perfect combination because what i've seen in um, markets like asia or or germany where they were also very very different, right? There was Novomatic and there was uh, Gammomat highly dominating the market. And then all of a sudden you start to see Red Tiger and, and Igrasil creeping in and starting to take market share. In Asia, I remember 10 years ago, people told me that slots are never going to work unless they have like, um, you know, 99% uh, RTP because they just don't want to play games where, where they can't win. Um, and, and it was, uh, now you see the titles from Europe doing really really well in asia obviously it's a different market because it takes a lot more inspiration from from the west um but i think you with your plumbing sort of roots supplying the ip and the well-known game maths uh, you you're carving a perfect route to deliver the innovation and, and educate those players and and so that the game from silverback can can catch on you know yep and raf and eva and the team of silverback they are the innovation engine room of gan and and the our job is just to make them comfortable and happy and let them expand their team and get the content stream at the door later on this year, which I'm, I'm super excited to get their, their titles live. But uh, in the meantime, we, we got the, you know, the super RGS um, is stood up. That, that's just the GAN platform mm. uh, enabled to perform as an aggregator super RGS. And it's, it's, it's available for uh, any game developer that has our own RGS, if they want to hook it up to our super RGS, they can. It's not a problem. We can enable the, the, the distribution in the pretty normal economic manner that you see in other European markets. We've got uh, uh, a very, very long, uh, what I call the, the sales pipeline or order taking, because everybody wants the Ainsworth content specifically and, and uh, other content that, that we provide supply. So we're just in the process of continuing to extend our distribution network from 
um, our platform clients, the lean on our platform, to others that have either in-house proprietary tech or lean on other third-party B2B tech as their platform, just to expand from, you know, from this market share to, the, to serve the entirety of the market. I think we'll probably, you know, pretty quickly by the end of this year, I'll be surprised if we haven't done uh, commercial RGS integration deals with every one of the major B2C operators. There might be one or two exceptions to prove that rule, but it's, uh, you know, you, when, when you have content that every online casino manager in America describes as must-have content, then you have what it takes to to get that all-important technical integration done. And contracts take forever and integrations take forever and, you know, the fairly smart ways of making them simple. But at the same time, every B2C operator in America has got a very long list of to-do things and adding extra RGSs unless it's must-have content is not necessarily at the top of, top of the list of priorities. So people want to get their, their content into... Um, the largest of B2C operators in America, then we are one way to play that. But again, that's between me, the market forces, and all the other third parties looking to get in. But I think Silverback is is a, a great piece of evidence to suggest that it would be smart for certain developers to go, you know what, I, I, I want to go and join a company like GAN as opposed to try and continue to, to forge an independent path. And that's not the right uh, course of action or thought process for many, many people. But, uh, you know, from a cultural standpoint, I think Raf and, and Evo and the fact that, you know, there's a team in Bulgaria there and we've already been in Bulgaria for many, many years with a substantial team and presence was enormously helpful. And I think, it, again, our culture is very open and apolitical and we just have a get shit done and get it right first time kind of mentality. And, you know, most of the time we get it done, but uh, mm-hmm. we, we're, we're we're an Irish, American, Italian, Bulgarian, uh, Israeli, Estonian combine. But the one thing that unites us all is just the, the shared belief that we can and will win here in the US, where we've laid the foundations for spectacular growth over the last few years. And uh, we, we see that expanding even further with the launch of Ontario coming up in a few weeks' time, which is super exciting. I can't tell you who it is that we're launching in Ontario, but it's a big boy and you know, it's another exciting opportunity. And I think from a, from the standpoint of the market, Ontario, just across the border from Michigan, really is being treated and perceived to be very, very similar operationally, technically, uh, economically, as just another American state. Whether whether that's right or wrong, we'll see. We've got to make sure that um, all the enforcement happens and the, the offshore guys don't continue to serve people in Ontario, but that's up to the regulator. It's up to us, but uh, if they do a good job of enforcement, then Ontario will be a very, very substantial market over time. So tell me now, where does the cool bet fit in into the whole grand scheme of things? Coolbet is one of the smartest group of people I've ever come across. I mean, this is an incredibly bright uh, mixture of Norwegians and Estonians who got together back in 2014, 2015, and just decided to build something better. And they build something better. And, and by the way, I'm paraphrasing. You know, the, the fantastic founder and the the founding executive team would, would do a much better job. So I will pray forgiveness for any emissions or 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 errors in in the retelling the history, but. They set out this. This was the team that started Nordic Bet and exited that very successfully and built this business very much on on the premise of we think the sports gambling experience can be so much better than it was possible to be 10, 15 years earlier when sports gambling was really being designed for the first time. And I think the the Mm -hmm. risk management system, liability management systems are, you know, 
many of the developers who designed and developed them, this is their fourth, fifth time developing risk management systems. So you've got kind of the back office, which is incredible. You've got the front end, and most importantly, the sports betting engine and platform that powers the front end uh, is incredibly capable at creating a highly engaging social experience in a way that very few other sports gambling operators had been able to deliver to the consumer. And, and one of the reasons for that is it is very, very hard to make significant architectural changes within what I call legacy old systems that were designed maybe in 2004 to 2010 era, very different technology choices being made because those were the only ones available. So developing the architecture to power the consumer betting experience is very difficult if you don't start with a very clear, expansive vision with modern, flexible technology on day one, which is exactly what they were able to do. And they built a, a fantastic experience available at coolbet.com outside of the US. I think they're operating in 10 countries uh, in European and great success in, uh, in Latin America and uh, in particular. And I think a lot of that is powered by the uh, extremely interesting front-end consumer features that are available. Transparency, where the bets are being placed, where the weight of money is on the book. You've got uh, a stream of, of bets coming into the system that are published for all to see. You've got all these features that appeal to the social media generation of young males, as well as you know the, the veteran old-school gamblers who, who have a very different list of requirements. So it's very, very clever people, great, uh, great direct-to-consumer business. Uh, huge rapid growth coming out of Latin America. They've done an incredible job in, in 2021. And uh, what we've done as a company, GAN, has again enabled some very smart people in Europe to bring their technology into the US. And we've, we've yeah. since sold it. We've actually sold it now twice. Um, uh, Station Casinos, otherwise known as Red Rock Resorts, is, is kind of our marquee client for all of the, the cool bet sports betting capability. And we'll be launching them later on this year. And that's probably one of the most exciting new client relationships that we've had in years. And we will be powering a very, very large retail and online sports betting experience in the silver state of Nevada, uh, which is one of the, you know, what I describe as the inner sanctums of gaming in America. And it's our, our, our first real real money significant penetration if you will of this inner sanctum so it's from a corporate standpoint looking back 20 years and 11 years pecking around in the us trying trying to figure it all out it's uh, it's a, a high watermark of, of personal achievement for me that gan is going to be powering the technology needs for station casinos in nevada very 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 substantial business today and i think with our our cool bet capability uh, gan sports capability it will be even better again so Watch a space, but uh, that's a, a heavy lift that's unfolding right now uh, over in Estonia and in Las Vegas. It sounds it sounds really exciting. I'm going to start wrapping up soon because I've taken a lot of your time, Dermot. But uh, it sounds like while 2021 was really the year where you guys were collecting your tools and your sort of uh, yeah, <laughs> magic uh, um, sort of source, 2022 will be where you start uh, reaping the benefits. And um, it also sounds like you're not getting out of our news feeds anytime soon with your exciting announcements. Um, so thank you for your time. I'm also happy uh, you know that I'm talking to, to Ralph and maybe at some point we're going to be able to show you a right combination of multiplayer and real money gaming slots. Um, and whether that works. Always, I've always wondered why multiplayer slots or multiplayer table games i mean they've been tried again and again i, I just mm. i'm just 100 percent convinced that the consumers want that as an experience but i've seen loads of really innovative runs on it i would personally love to see 
um, exciting innovations, multiplayer gaming emerge. Well, and there's beyond play, you know? <laughs> no, I'd love well, to show you. When you're in London, we should uh, get together for a coffee. I'll show you a demo, but um, Ralph saw it, and hopefully we're going to be able to test it with uh, their games pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, meanwhile, thank you so much for, for the time. It was super interesting. I think your experience is right up my alley because I'm so interested in, in the history of uh, how you guys started in the industry. Uh, well done on all your achievements. Also on the Miami office, uh, you know, Florida, pretty cool place to have an office. <laughs> uh, so. A lot of people are moving there and it's, it's, it's been an incredible uh, privilege to set up the team there and, and see it blossom so quickly. Yeah, cool. All right. Thank you very much. Um, and I hope to see you when you're in London. Good luck with everything. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.